time is ticking. And as you, as you get older, you start to appreciate that a little bit more. You know, and sometimes we think that time is running out, but really, time is ticking no matter what age we are. All right? We do not have any control over the length of our life. So we can live to old age, we can live to other ages. We just don't know. But in the book of Revelation, Jesus repeats something three times, right at the very end of the last chapter. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. And then again, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And then again, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So really, Christ here was trying to make a point at the end of the Bible that he is coming back soon. And I think we've got to put this into perspective because we can say, okay, that things need to happen. If you've written, read, you know, the prophecies in Daniel, you've read Revelation, you know certain things have to happen before Christ actually comes back. But the thing is that if we think of now, at this very point now, and go back 2,000 years, how many people in that time have already met Christ? Well, everybody who's died in some way, really, well, apart from those going to hell. So Jesus is coming back sooner to some than others. And so we've got to put this into perspective and not just say, I need to, I'll, I'll wait until I see, you know, the Antichrist set up the abomination in the temple. I will wait, and, you know, until this happens. I will wait. We can't wait. We really need to get going. So let's just pray. Let's just commit this uh, service to the Lord. Lord, I just thank you for the word that you have. I thank you for the word that you've given me this morning to share with our people and so, Lord, I just pray what is from you will touch people in their hearts, and what is just from me will fall to the floor. So we just commit this time to you in his wonderful name. Amen. You know, in chapter 22, um, verse 14, Jesus says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, I'm sure most of us here would understand it, that those whose names are written in the book of life will receive the reward of eternal life, of course, in heaven. And those whose names aren't written in the book of life, those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior, will sadly spend eternity in hell. Now, most of us would understand that. But I need to tell you, it's not quite as simple as that. Jesus himself says in Matthew, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now this verse also always challenges me. 
knowing that I can have a measure of success, even perform miracles in my Christian walk, and yet still come up short. At the end of my life, I don't want to hear those words. I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Or as the Message Bible puts it, you missed the boat. All you, all you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Now, who wants to hear that? At the end of your life, or wherever, whatever stage, who wants to hear that? Jesus says, you missed the boat. You're out of here. And I don't want to hear that. It challenges me to have that relationship with him. I want to hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Now give me a wave if you would prefer to hear that. So that's at the end of your life, you would like to hear that. I truly would. So I know I can't sit on my laurels. Has anybody heard that verse before? You can't sit on your laurels? What are your laurels? <laughs> they're your crowns. They're your accolades that you've been given by people. They're, they're sort of, if you could imagine, a, a wreath around your head. It's a funny term, but you can't sit on your laurels. You can't sit on what you've done. You can't sit on, on what you've achieved, all right? So in Matthew 7, it says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, who built his house on the sand. Now, I don't know if you, I'll take you back to, some of you, a long way back to when you were learning times tables. Now, I don't know how they teach times tables these days. But I, if you can remember, I can remember a, a board up in the classroom that had all the times tables on, and we had to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. Once you read it once, you didn't retain it. Remember your times tables? In fact, some of you would probably struggle over seven times nine or one of those tricky ones in the middle, all right, right now. But we, we learnt it through repetition. We learnt it through going over it and going over it until it just became part of us. And some of the scriptures I bring this morning, you've, you know them, but we need to keep repeating them and repeating them so they become part of us. It becomes a part of who we are. The wise man builds his house on the, on the rock, the word of God. The foolish man just does his own thing. And I think we've got to be reminded of that, and it's good to bring those verses back. When we ask Jesus into our lives, he comes in, in, the, in his complete fullness, God in us. From that moment on, we can, if we wish, walk victoriously in all manner of ways. And as I say, if we wish we can walk in victory. Keeping away from sin and coming to church on Sundays is good, but it's not our only function. We need to be about our Heavenly Father's business. All of us need to be doing what God has asked each of us to do. Ignorance is no excuse. That's another saying. Have you heard that? Ignorance is no excuse. 
saying we don't know the legal limit of our fishing or diving catch. And I don't think Sally and I are going to break that. I don't think we're going to take home more than our limit, unless a miracle happens. But there's certain sizes to fish as well. We don't, we can't use the excuse that we didn't know our kids needed to be belted in, in a proper child restraint. We know that. We can't use the excuse that we don't no, we needed a building permit if we're going to build a house or an extension or a garage. And we don't, can't use that excuse on what we should or shouldn't be growing in our back shed. And we can't use that excuse in the Word of God. Because it's provided for us. The Word of God is provided for us. God is going to direct our steps through the Word of God. It says, the Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we need to just obey God's Word because of what it says. Not because of the punishment or the penalty, which will be far worse than the common law. But as Jesus said in John, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus taught mainly through parables, and so many of them encourage us, his disciples, to be good stewards, good servants, and to be getting about doing what he has asked us to do. So let's look at um, a verse from uh, one of these parables from Luke 12. Now, once upon a time, we used to turn to Bibles, actually, at this time. Anybody got a Bible? Four people in the church have got a Bible. We need to do something about that. Anybody got a Bible at home? If I gave you chocolate <laughs> to bring your Bible. Anyway, we put it up there so that you do get to read the Word of God. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It'll be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But so, suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat his, main, his men servants and main servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. This is typical of the parables that Jesus was trying to point out to us. He was showing us that there is an important role for servants, and that is us, Christians, believers. So a servant is in the household of the master. A good servant is in the household of the master, and so is a bad servant. So it doesn't, it's not talking about Christians and non-Christians. It's talking about believers. It sounds tough. Jesus was tough in his teachings. Even Peter questioned him at this time. He said, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? You know? Are you, are you being so tough on us? So this parable actually falls into two categories, but really some people would prefer a third category. There is either the faithful and wise manager or servant, all right? Think about yourself. Where do you fit into this? 
You can fit into three categories. I'll let you fit in today to three categories, but there are two in the Bible. You either are a faithful and wise servant going about your father's business. All right, I should have a show of hands. Or you're a foolish servant, drinking and carousing and beating up your fellow servants. There are two choices. And just for this morning, I'm going to give you a third choice. Third option is in between not serving and not carousing and beating people up. All right? So I've done this before in our, when we had our new life class. We would we'd talk to the new believers and we'd say, which category do you fall into? Not telling them that there isn't a third. But anyway, most of them would take the third option. But when we look at the scripture, there are only two options. You're either doing what God asks you to do or you're doing, not doing what he's asking you to do. And this is why I'm saying your salvation rests on this, all right? If, you, if you're not doing what God's asking you to do, you're not actually obeying him. And do you actually love him? It's a, it's a bit of a catch situation. So really what I'm trying to do is encourage people to get busy. We need to ask God where we fit and then get busy doing what he asks us to do. And even taking it easy, putting up our feet isn't an option either. Let's have a look at another one of his parables. And he, Jesus, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He brought it to himself. What shall I do? So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. See the point that I'm trying to make? It's tough. It's not easy. It's not just, yeah, you got saved, that's it, that's the end. We need to be rich towards God, storing up riches in heaven. If you think of the rich young ruler, he came to God and said, I've, I've done everything. Yes, I've kept those rules. I'm sweet. And Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. I want you to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Now, he said, then you will have what? Riches in heaven. Now, we read that story and we say, okay, we're not rich. We're not a ruler. I hope that God isn't going to ask me to sell everything I've got and give it to the poor. So we sort of slide by that verse. But that's not the point. What God was saying in that story was that what I ask you to do will give you riches in heaven. So when we say to God, I don't want to do it, it's too tough for me, then of course we don't get riches in heaven. But if we go about doing it, we get riches in heaven. Because God can see up in heaven and see what we've stored up there. So he will come to us and say, Paul, Sally Ann, Margaret, you know, Kim, whatever, this is what I'd like you to do to get riches in heaven. So then we have a choice, like the rich young ruler, and say, oh, it's too hard. You know, uh, I just, can I put it off? All right? And then, of course, we don't get what he's wanting us to do. So that's the point of that story. So Christians have a vital role in winning this world for Christ. And when we fall into the trap 
of the enemy, living a good life, popping into church once in a while, slipping a bit of money into the offering bag, we fool ourselves that we're actually doing well. I just want to show a video here, which to me is quite challenging. Thank you. The end of that Schindler's List movie has touched me. I saw it years ago, and it's kept in my mind a long time. I've been wanting to show that for a long time. I've been wanting to preach that for a long time. That's the point. There's an end when we've done what we've done, and we don't have a chance to do any more. The war was over. He realizes that he could have saved more. His car 
Could have been 10 people if he'd sold that. His pin could have been two more people. Sure, 1,100 people were saved, but he realized he could have done more. And we've got to challenge ourselves and say, we want our lives to count. Because at the end, which could be tomorrow, there'll be a point where we're accountable for what we've done, and we will feel we could have done more. But the good news, the good news is that we're still alive. Most of us in this room are still alive. <laughs> so we have a chance, all right? We've got more time. And one of my roles as a pastor is to teach the Word of God so that every one of us, including me, finishes our race completes the task God has asked each one of us to do. So how do we do it? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear, what? What does it say? What does it say? Is it up there? He will bear much fruit. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul, who had a bad start and a tough life, wrote to Timothy saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, put yourself into this position. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy. Each one of us here was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. These verses you need to be writing down. These verses you need to be taking note of this and reading these through to see what God wants to do in your life. This is what we want. God's strength, God's grace, God's mercy, more faith. As uh, John taught us last week. And God's love flowing through us. So we do succeed. But some time frame, well, all time frames are in God's hands. Our life and our death is in his hand. Sometimes God wants a small job done, like sharing your faith. You know, the person who shared their faith with Billy Graham played a small role in a big picture. You never know when the small task has a big outcome. Sometimes it's a big job, like building an ark or a TV ministry, or even Bible translation. Imagine that, the years they put in, people going into a country and translating a Bible into a new language. The, the outcome of that is huge. The size of the job isn't important. It's whether we are faithful. Yes, God, we need to be saying. And I'm adding, yes, pastor, I will. Practice that. Yes, God. Yes, God. 
Yes, Pastor. Sorry, they didn't. <laughs> Noah's job was huge, but the Bible records in Genesis Noah did everything just as God commanded him to do. It's so, so important that we get started so he can put the next phase into effect without passing us by. Now, another slide that I want to come up now is the Airbus A380. I don't know if any of you have been on that, but it's a, it's a great plane to fly on. But it was so expensive to build, no one company or country could afford to build it on its own. So consequently, England, France, Spain, and Germany manufacture sections of the plane, transporting these huge components by ship, barge, and road to Toulouse in France for final assembly. So accuracy and timing are crucial to get them to Toulouse. And I show that as an example for, and leave it, you can leave it up there for just for a sec, but I show that as an example of, that's a little bit like our life. God is wanting to do something somewhere, and you're part of it. The little part that you play at times, or the big part that you play, is part of a bigger picture. And the enormity of this project, the enormity of this plane, is absolutely huge. And the enormity of what God wants to do is huge as well. But we all need to play our part. So you have a choice to put your feet up, take it easy, and fail in this direction. And I don't want you to do that. So what is God asking you to get started with? Are you going to say, I'm too young, I'm too old, or this or that? All of us are called. What do you feel he wants you to do? It's God's number one plan to reach this nation and the nations through us. He doesn't have a plan B. Plan A is reaching the world through us, one person at a time. Every day, every week that goes by without us getting started gives us less time to complete the very tasks God has for us. And if we are too slow, he may even pass us by. In the book of Romans, Paul says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And as the Message Bible says, But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off, oblivious to God. I challenge myself with this as well. I challenge myself with these verses. So write this verse down. Write that we're going to have a look. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. As Peter outlines in broad terms what we need to be doing. At the end of all things, oh, sorry, the end of all things is near. So even Paul, Peter, sorry, is encouraging us. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Now, I presume you're ticking this off. You're saying to yourself, yep, I do that. Yep, I'm doing that. Yep, I'm doing that. Each one should use whatever gift he, she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God provided so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we see here prayer. Prayer is important, of course. It keeps you connected to God, and if you give him a chance, you will hear him speaking to you. Love. Don't just tell people you love them. Demonstrate your love. Peter says to love each other deeply, so it actually should be obvious. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody that says, look, I love you. It's just a frame. People often say, I, I love you. But love is a demonstration. And you learn to love by learning to love people that are unlovable sometimes. You know? And it can be inconvenient. But it's something that we're called to do. Peter also says it's interesting about gifts. He said, each of you. So all of us. He doesn't say those of you, because those of you would mean there's a group that have gifts. No, it's each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. If you don't know what your gift is, ask somebody else. What do you think my gift is? Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You have lots of options there to serve others. Speaking. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season for correction, rebuke, and encouragement with great patience and careful instruction and serving, serving others, not yourself. Paul says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better, or some versions say, or more important than yourselves. That is a very difficult one. We are basically selfish. I'm basically selfish. But the Word of God says, consider others more important than myself. And that's everybody else is more important than me. And strength, God's strength. If we say we are too weak to serve, we deny God's willingness to help. And of course, all glory to God. God receives the glory when we step into these things. You know, there's an interesting verse found in Ecclesiastes. It's, it says, Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. In other words, once your life is over, it's over. Whatever you have done, you've done. Whatever you haven't done, you haven't done. All right? Not only do we want to hear God's encouragement day to day, when we pass into eternity, I'm sure we all want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Amen? Amen.